0: This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media.
1: Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.
0: Welcome one and all to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean, you can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and today I am here with Kyron Samuels to talk about the Sunday slate of NFL games. Now, recording a full episode after an entire slate of Sunday games is a little bit uh, trying on the family, so we're switching things up. I don't have Dave or Eric with me anymore, unfortunately, for these Sunday games. We're going to be doing Monday morning recordings, but we are also going to be doing video So as of right now, if you're listening and you want to hop over onto YouTube, you'll be able to find this with video with Kyron and I. Kyron, how are you doing today?
1: Doing pretty good, man. Had a pretty cool day of football yesterday, so ready to get on into it. Let's get rolling.
0: Yeah, man. So we got a bunch of games to go through. We're going to do our usual six games plus Sunday night football. And the first one is the New York Giants at, I say in quotes, the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) In London in the morning. So. Whoa, what the heck it just happened? This game, man, it is chock full of storylines. It's exceeding expectations for a New York Giants team with a new coaching staff. It's. Underwhelming for the Packers, who we did kind of talk about last week, expecting a little bit more from them. Yeah, maybe not as explosive as they've been, but we kind of trusted Aaron Rodgers there a little bit. Now the season is young, but ultimately the Giants walk away twenty-seven to twenty-two over the Packers, and uh, look, the Giants are for real. I mean, they look good. They've got juice. The coaching staff has juice. Saquon Barkley is. Super explosive. Darius Slayton had a big day for himself as well, kind of under the under the radar there a little bit. And Daniel Jones, yeah, maybe he wasn't excellent, but he he got some yards on the ground and he made it happen, man. How did you feel watching this game yesterday morning?
1: Um, so I felt like the first half went how we all thought it would. Uh, Packers jumped out to a little bit of a lead. Uh, the Giants had opportunities. Um, I know Dan Jones missed a, a wide open throw uh, to Slayton. I think it was like the second to last possession of the first half. And that probably would have been a touchdown if he puts it on him. So little stuff like that was happening where they were competing. But the team we, we have become more accustomed to making the plays, uh, the team that we have become more accustomed to being consistent, was consistent. And then, I, But I still felt good because I was like, if they make some, you know, some of these plays that they've been missing, um, if the defense can give them a couple possessions, uh, getting off the field, then they have a chance. And I didn't think they would win, but they came out in the second half and just completely took off. I think the most impressive thing I took away from this game um, was that they played winning football. They went 6-4-11 on third down. That is incredible. They did not turn the ball over, which they have been, you know, Malawi turnovers over the, the last couple of years. And most importantly, they won the time of possession battle with Green Bay. And that's something that does not happen very often, um, you know, Oh, Akin to Brady, Rodgers is one of those guys that when he gets the ball, you probably you might not see it for the rest of the quarter. Like He goes on these like <laughs> seven, eight, nine-minute drives and, and just completely takes over games and takes your offense out of it. So the fact that they were able to, and I think a lot of that has to do with Saquon Barkley and the third-down conversions, being able to stay on the field. But uh, being able to win the time of possession battle, keep that Packers offense on the bench, even if it's not the most explosive that we're used to seeing. Um, like I just said, they'll take over the game uh, just by having the ball in their hands and, and, and making the plays when it count. So kudos to the giants. I think uh, my final takeaway, I don't want to stay on them too long is that a lot of people, um, Oh, Brian Dable an apology. He's a damn good coach. Uh, he's putting these guys in a position to succeed. And even the one, the one loss they have is to um, the Cowboys. Right. And everybody's like, Oh, back to the giants. Right. But look at the Cowboys. Now they're four and one, the Cowboys only losses to Tom Brady and the bucks in the opener. Like, that that loss is proven to be um and there's no such thing as a moral victory in the NFL, but that loss is proven to be like, hey, at least they're for real. They they're taking teams that are 4 1 to the brink. Um they had, you know, plenty of opportunity in that game. So it's very it's very good to see them progress so fast. And I think that's a lot to do with the coach and a lot to do with the running back, who I'm sure you'll highlight here in a second.
0: No doubt. I mean, look, so back in twenty twenty, I'm a Jets fan, right? So back in twenty twenty. Right. I was calling for the Jets to hire Brian Dable about a month into that, the the second year of the Adam Gates experiment, right? Obviously that went very poorly being in the AFC East. I knew that Dable was excellent. I could see it very, very quickly. That was Josh Allen's breakout year, but it wasn't just that it was the play calling. It was the preparation that was clearly being done. I was very, very impressed. I really wanted him to be the Jets coach he doesn't get a job because he goes to the AFC championship game that year. Now right. he gets the Giants job the year after. And it's tough to see him in New York. I'm grateful that my Jets are doing well. But there's no doubt that I was really excited about him. I love what what he's done for them just in terms of their, their creative. Look, you're getting the rookie tight end involved on that double reverse do you remember that right before the half, man, Daniel Bellinger right. getting in there to score? And then after that, it, it was definitely the Giants game. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley, incredibly explosive. There's just no, no other way to cut it. Their offensive line is playing pretty well, but I, there's no one that has quite the same burst off of the line that, that Barkley has this season. Um you know, flipping over to the Green Bay side, I mean, I'll let you talk about the offense since you're the offensive guy here. But I want to point out on their defense, they are super talented. They're talented, they play hard, they hit hard, but they are having too many penalties. I mean, the defensive holding plays are are stripping away sacks. I mean, there was a strip sack, there was another sack, both canceled out by defensive holding penalties. I mean, this this is a defense, if this is gonna be a run the ball well, and then and play defense team, then you cannot be making those mistakes on defense that are canceling out your explosive defensive plays.
1: Oh wow, we got breaking news just now. What's uh, up, Matt Rule? Is, Matt Rule is officially out in Carolina. So um, oh. they just made just made the call on that one. So he's out. Which I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's breaking news, but like, who really cares? We we all knew this was coming. Just we didn't know uh, at what point it was coming. But you had to throw that out there. But um, I'll get back to you the green, here. I think that Aaron Rodgers is still a top two quarterback in the NFL. After what I've seen from the first five weeks of the year, I don't think it's much of a debate. Uh, I know everybody loves Pat and, and Josh Allen and all this stuff that they do, but for what he's accomplishing right now with the nucleus that he has, arguably the worst of his career, it's pretty impressive to me. Um, the last five games, so this season, he has – He's 114 of 168. He's completed 68.4% of his passes for 1,157 yards, eight touchdowns to only three interceptions, and two of those who were in the first game. So he is still playing at an elite level. However, his number one receiver Sunday was Randall Cobb. And I love Randall Cobb. He has had a sneaky good career. I don't think he's quite Hall of Fame, but he's Hall of really damn good. In 2022, he should not be your number one receiver. He had seven catches for 99 yards, and he had 13 targets. So that lets me know. I guarantee you that Matt LaFleur didn't draw it up that way. But Aaron Rodgers has autonomy. He can check. He can do stuff. I guarantee you that he's just like, I don't trust these guys anymore. I'm going back to what I feel comfortable with. Let's go back to this dink and dunk. Um, You saw Mercedes Lewis get a – and that was a beautiful play design. But you saw them going back to guys like that old faithful, Mercedes Lewis. Um, Robert Tunyon had another four targets. He's going back to the safety valves and the comfortability. And it was working. I think they played well enough on offense to win the game. However, like you said, on defense, um, they aren't the same Green Bay Packers offense that you've become accustomed to playing with. So some of the stuff that you could get away with in the past, like you said, um, you cannot do that anymore. Uh, the penalties, especially like the third downs. Um, Daniel Jones went 21 of 27 for only 217 yards, but he was extending and drive. He was keeping them ahead of the chain. So, Saquon Barkley could get those second and shorts and and convert and get first downs. Um, You have to, and this is where I think they need to take the next step and grow, you have to be able to adapt and play to the personnel you're going against in the NFL. You you can have an identity, but you need to be able to adapt. You need to be able to take their strength away. And I think they believe that they're so talented, they can just do what they've always done, um, play aggressive, play overly aggressive sometimes, and get away with it. But with the offense as – I won't say the offense is stagnant because it's not. I just think the offense is more grinded out. This is like – I keep saying it about uh, the, the the Brady Bucks, and we'll talk about them later, but this looks like 2003 to 2006 AFC East football to me all over the NFL because of the way defenses are playing. It's going to be ugly now. You got Patrick Mahomes and that loaded offense. You got Josh Allen and that loaded offense. They're going to score points on anybody just because they're so talented. But for the rest of the league, it's been a struggle. Um, and to me, it's not a struggle. It's just that's what it's going to look like against the defense that you're playing. Um, so I think people need to adapt to that. And I think the Green Bay Packers are going to be fine. They're 3-2. and two. Um, They should probably should have won that game last night. Excuse me, uh, yesterday morning. Um, I think they're going to beat the Vikings when they play them again. I'm not worried about, you know, the Bears. Um, are we really worried about the Lions? They've been good. I think that uh, Dan Campbell might not have long left, but... I think he's doing pretty well with an unfair situation. Uh, But I say all that to say, they're going to be fine in their division. They'll be right there at the end to win that division. And if they don't get in from that, they'll probably be a wild card to me. I think there's no reason to panic. I saw a lot of panic yesterday from Packers fans. You got the best, one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL still. Uh, Matt LaFleur is doing a great job dialing up plays. Give the defense a chance to get back into their rhythm, get back into flow, and I think they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I think not to take anything away from the Giants at all because they're playing very well. But they – so there was a a, a series where Vondra Campbell tackles Saquon Barkley, gets hurt on TFL. They still drive down the field, score, tie it up twenty twenty. On the very next drive by Green Bay, it's a three and out with two deep shots to Alan Lazard that are like not – they never really even look close. If they want to play the Packers football that exists right now – they need to not try two deep shots and go three and out, give the ball right back to the Giants. Because the Giants end up scoring on that drive to go up 27-20. If Rodgers is a little bit more patient, they've got time, they can drive down, own the time of possession that you're talking about late in the game as well, kick a field goal, or even score and win. They get impatient, they try for the downfield shots. Next thing you know, Giants drive and score, Packers do almost get there at the end, but they have the two balls tipped at the line. Um, right. and, and and that's it. That's the game. So that's that's it for, for the Giants and Packers. But look, Packers are not that far away. They just need yeah, to really fun. own who they are. I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, And that, that game was fun to watch, especially on rewatch oh, yeah. because... Because I watched it last night, and I, I was like, "Look, this is this is good football." Especially, I mean, they're 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 giving the ball to Saquon Barkley and doing the, the end round. Like, I just like what they're doing there. Oh, Overall, so, it was fun.
1: Two things here: these London games are killing me because you know I do. <laughs> I'm up streaming all day Saturday, and just even if I wasn't streaming, I'd be watching these Pac-12 after dark games because I just love football. So I'm up to like one thirty, two o'clock sometimes. On Saturday, and I got to get up and watch the London game because they've been good football games the last you know two weeks, and you don't want to miss anything. You know, we have socials to run, but beyond all that, I'd be getting up and doing it anyway. So, these these London games are killing me. Uh, <laughs> two, I hear you. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Saquon Barkley is, if not the best, the second best running back in the NFL over the the first five weeks of the season. Um, a lot of people keep, you know, we, I had a conversation on Twitter the other day, uh, yesterday actually. And they were saying, "Uh, his versatility out of the backfield uh, makes him number one to me." And I was like, "That doesn't really do it for me." As far as talking about running backs, I think that if that were the case, then it'd be Christian McCaffrey and uh, Alvin Kamara at two and three. Then, like, just because you have the ability to do something else doesn't necessarily make you the best running back. I still think, personally, Nick Chubb is the best because his vision, his burst, his uh, his cut cutting ability, um, the way he gets off line on zones to avoid tackles and then gets right back on track. So I, f- I wish we had like a video screen so I could explain what that really means, but he does it better than Soon anybody enough. in the NFL. Right. So, Soon enough. Um, so I still think he's the best, but Saquon is no lower than number two for me. He is playing incredible football. Uh, I know a lot of people had the scare yesterday when he went out with the shoulder, but um, you know, if you listen to the broadcast, they were saying he ran back out on the field because he just had to do mm-hmm. that before, you know, me, uh, the NFL is covering it, but with all injuries now post to a situation. So it was, it was Mm -hmm. good to see him not get hurt, but like come back in the game and he looks healthy again. Um, there's nothing lacking there. So I really want to give a big shout out to Saquon because a lot of people wrote him off, said that he was a waste of a draft pick going that high. He can't stay on the field. You, you heard it all. So shout out to him for, for going crazy lately.
0: No doubt. Yeah. uh, uh, You know, we're going to move on, but it's right. We're going to move on to the number one running back actually right now. But, but yeah, I mean, probably got some kind of pain, nulling, uh, uh, Injection or something like that, and, and got back in right. there looking pretty good. So, all right, Los Angeles Chargers at the Cleveland Browns. Oh, Chargers brother. Chargers win thirty to twenty eight in this one. This is a frustrating game, and I know you feel exactly the same way. It looks early like Chubb is just going to take over the game. It's an effortless long run. I think you know he just. Is the quintessential running back. Every jump cut looks easy. You know what I mean. His burst is easy. His everything is the way he reads blocks is tremendous. He's definitely the, still the number one back. Um, they, I think it's off of a play action. I can't remember exactly, but they hit Cooper on in the left of the end zone to go up fourteen points over the Chargers. At this point, it kind of looks like the game is going exactly how the Browns needed to go. But man. <laughs> Once you got through the second half, it's kind of all kinds of messed up stuff. I mean, holding calls on Denzel Ward, an eligible mm-hmm. man downfield on Corey Lindsley, false start by Parham. It's just like this stuff keeps adding up. The coaching decisions get kind of increasingly aggressive. <laughs> Look, let's get to the end of the game. They're basically in field goal range um, almost, and, and they decide to, to, to go for it, right? I mean, I want you as a player to give me, or as a former player, obviously, but to give me your feedback on exactly what that situation feels like to you and why is Keenan Allen, which is normally not happening, vocal on Twitter basically criticizing the coaching decision here. Because late in the fourth quarter, <laughs> they're going for it when they have the opportunity to punt and basically you know, own the game. Now, it does work out for them in the end, but that's basically luck.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't work out for them in the end. For the long run, because like you just said, Kenan Allen, uh all pro Pro Bowl guy um uh, watching from the house is like, What the you know, you know what are we doing is what he said on Twitter. So um he is losing that locker room regardless that they're winning. So I I mean I can I know some guys on the team, I know some uh beat writers around the organization that are in the building every day, and they're like it is very dysfunctional right now because of those those decisions. He's known as like the analytical guy, he gets the rap for like analytics and analytics. He talks about it more than any you know, other coach, right? But there has to come a point in time and, and the coaches, you know, in your decision-making during the game where you need to put all that BS aside. Um, I got love for, for people that work at PFF, um, PFN, all these, you know, sites that give us these advanced analytics, even the next gen people. I know somebody, know some people that work for them, all that's well and good, but you need to manage the game in the flow of the game. Let the guys up there in the box. They get paid to sit in the headsets and tell you all the analytic stuff. Let them do their job, of course. But Nick Chubb had 17 carries for 134 yards and two touchdowns. For Stefanski, on the other side, I think it was criminal the way he handled it at the end of the game. Um, and I think I'm going to Stefanski right now to say, Stefanski tried to give you an out, like, and then he still almost. On. Like, and then conversely, it's the same thing. I just can't fathom the late game decision making from either one of these teams. Like, to me, if you're on the Chargers, you have to be like Austin Eckler had 16 carries for 173 yards and a touchdown. Where's that been all season? Why hasn't he been getting more than you know six, seven carries a game? For one, uh, Justin Herbert's ribs are falling off, and it's like he's out there fighting for his life without Keenan Allen every week, making it happen, and you still letting him throw 39, 40 times a game. It's just, I say all this because it's all connected to me. So the decision-making pregame, uh, in-game, all is the same as the bad decision-making at the end of the game. So when you look at Staley, like you said, even though they got away with it, essentially, he's still losing the the grip of that locker room. And I think rightfully so. You can't put your team in those positions to lose so often uh, because of analytics. And, you know, like they say, all oh, the analytics tell you this. I feel like there needs to be analytics within the analytics. A lot of those analytics are based off of Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, uh, Josh Allen in, in Buffalo uh, teams like that, that have the bevy of weapons that they go for and, and they're more successful than other teams. What are your analytics for your team? I can guarantee you that the Chargers have failed in those situations, those third and fourth downs um, where they're putting their team in terrible positions uh, more than they've succeeded. At least it feels that way over the last couple of seasons. It's like, or at least when they have failed, it's been in the worst possible time. So I think at a certain point, you just need to look at what you have. Um, trust your defense a little bit more. You you literally, how much money did they pay those guys? I mean, you paid Derwin. I know uh, Bosa's out with the injury, but you paid Bosa. Khalil Mack, you went here and did his contract. You paid JC Jackson, who hasn't played very good, just being honest. Um, I know he's coming off injury. But you paid all these guys. You should probably trust in them a little bit more. Uh, Punt the ball more. Kick more field goals and rely on them to to bring you through. I want to hear what you have to think, what you think about both guys late game situation uh, coaching. But I think they just both tried to lose the game. Like literally they tried. I I said on Twitter yesterday, they're both having a mid off. Like they're both terrible at the end game. Like I don't get it.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm less hard on Stefanski because I just feel like the limitations of his quarterback situation are a little bit different and they are very, very, very good at running the ball. They do end up scoring to go up 28, 27 on the Brown side. You know, they're hitting Donovan people's Jones down the field. I think, I think the reality is I, I hear you, but I will put a little bit more on Jacoby Brissett there than I will on Stefanski just because how much can you do around him and, 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 and still have him missing throws that, that should be completions. Um, Staley's the other one, though he's a different story. I mean, situationally, exactly what we're looking at is you have the ball, you are up thirty to twenty-eight, you're driving. I mean, Justin Herbert and Mike Williams are putting the team on their back. They're they're converting first downs, staying in bounds, keeping the clock moving. I mean, like Mike Williams had one catch where he's literally being carried by the DB, like held up, and he still manages to stay in bounds. They. It's fourth down and they throw a swing pass or something. I-, I can't forget what I think they just threw like a pass to the flat, basically. It's not even putting the, right. the ball in the hands of your best players if you're gonna do that. And it's stuffed with a minute to go. So if you kick that, if you are you are already moving the ball, if you kick that a punt or if you punt that ball, you are probably locking a run dependent offense. Deep in their own side of the field right yep. and and you're up 30 20 you have to they have to drive down the field and kick a field goal and throwing the ball outside the hashes is not really their forte which is exactly what you need to do to, to basically win in that situation we'll talk later about a team that's extremely good at doing that so you know i i think you just have to recognize who you are who you're playing and and the the vibe of the game like the actual game flow as opposed to just right. like a a numerical analytic because it's just one of those things where if you see something and you know it's not going to work and then they do it and then it doesn't work it's it's just it's hard not to criticize that but right. i think we got to move on if we're going to hit all these games that we want to in any uh in any uh, kind of completionist uh, fashion so do you have anything else to mention on that before we jump along to the, the uh Seahawks, Saints?
1: I'll do it really quick. I'll keep it under a minute. But only that, Um, I think Jacoby's played over what anybody thought he would be able to play. So right. I think a lot of that does still lay on Stefanski. Like, and Jacoby has six catches for 88 yards, only has six targets. If a guy's that hot in the floor of the game, you, you keep going back to him. And you make it easy. So the decision that Jacoby's having to make, he's a backup. He's been a career backup for a reason. I think he's outplayed expectation, and as a coach, you don't need to put him in those situations, especially in the red zone going in when you have Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I think over the course of a game, your overall point is correct, but in that particular situation where you're um, you're up by three, I mean, excuse me, you're up by one, you need to go in and score. Hand the ball off three times or get some dink and dunk to your tight end. Don't put him in a position where he can make a a, a bad play like that, because I think that's your job as a coach to protect your players from themselves. Um, and do what's most advantageous to the team. But other than that, two guys that need to be better at doing their job and their cost on their team. And I think um, they're equally liable for the team's lack of success because of the expectation they had going forward. But we'll move on because um, I don't think either one of these teams are going to be relevant in a couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if, if the Chargers can hold on. Yeah,
0: Chargers would be the one because I'm always going to trust the elite quarterback. And yeah. we just don't know what's going to happen with the Browns. All right. Seattle Seahawks going to play the New Orleans Saints. The Saints walk away uh, thirty nine to thirty two. This game was fun. At, you know, it, it, look. G, first of all, Geno Smith. What what is going on here? He is playing incredibly well, and I mean, this is not this is not some statistic that's masking the reality of a play. He is throwing strikes. He is throwing on the move. He has pocket presence. I mean, I, you know. He's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's playing very, very well. And considering the trajectory of his career, how he got to this point, it's pretty impressive to see. On the other side, I think it's pretty impressive what the Saints are doing, considering the number of injuries that they have. I know that the Seahawks' defense isn't elite right now. I mean, we've seen seen them give up quite a few points over the last few weeks. But still, they are finding ways to score in New Orleans. They're finding ways to to get production even with their starting quarterback out. I mean, they're missing Michael Thomas, they're missing Jarvis Landry, they lost Chris Olave partway through this game who's playing incredibly, although he got his head pretty much smashed into that turf. That was that was right. not pleasant to see. Feel for him for sure. But um you know, they gave him the touchdown on that play. But so they're losing all these guys. You know, Alvin Kamara at this point is an aging running back and he's still effective at times, but he's not what he was at his, his true peak. And then you got Taysom Hill, who's doing everything, you know, he's running the ball, he's passing the ball. He's, he's all over the place. Um, It's it, I have to give a lot of credit to the saints coaching staff, I think. And, you know, their overall plan, I don't think that it's actually like working the way they intended it to obviously, but they're, they're pivoting, which I think is one of the biggest points of credit that you can give to a coaching staff.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I'll talk about the Saints first because we kind of—I just want to segue into that point. Uh, the Saints are a very good football team to me. I think that they're missing the, the key cog right now, and that's quarterback. And like you said, they ha- they've had some injuries. But the games they've lost—they lost by lost ten to the Bucks, which is you know it's the Bucks, it's Tom Brady. They're they're going to be uh, very tough to beat. Then they lost by a touchdown to the Panthers. With the, I think they had four turnovers that game. Jameis is hurt, his back's hurt, and he's been out the last couple of weeks. But without those four turnovers, you would assume that it would be a touchdown difference as far as point differential because of those turnovers. Um, then they lost by three points to the Vikings last week, and then they come back and win this game by seven. They've been in every game that they played in. Uh, and I think that's how crazy the NFL is. You could lose, like, let's use the Browns, for example. They are two and three, and they've lost those three games by a combined total of six points. Like, that's how close the games are in the NFL most of the time. And the difference is very minute. Um, so I want to give them a lot of credit. And I want to give Kamara a lot of credit because he's been down with injury. Um, he, he's had some off-field stuff that has yet to be resolved. It's been very controversial for him the last mm-hmm. you know year or so, right? He comes out to yesterday and puts the team on his back. I know Taysom Hill is going to get all the love. He might even get my performer of the week. I don't know. But Kamara had 23 carries for 103 yards. And then he had six catches for 90. Excuse me, six catches. For 91 yards. So he almost went over 100 in both. I mean, that type of responsibility is probably why he's so banged up all the time. That's how important he is to the you know the success of that offense. You have to give him the ball that much. He had 29 touches. Insane. You know, that's insane to do with the International Football League. But that's just where they are. Um, and also, you have to give a shout out to Taysom Hill. I mean, nine carries for 122 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, one for one pass and uh, two-yard touchdown pass. And if I'm not mistaken, he had a reception as well. But um, I think, like you just said, I'll give a lot of credit to the staff for finding ways to get their best players involved and being like, hey, we're on our third string quarterback technically sometimes. We're going to find ways to get our best players the ball, and that's what we're going to do and count on them. Um, And then conversely on the defense, it hasn't been the same Saints defense that we've been accustomed to seeing, but if, if nothing else, that pass rush is still very, very good. Cam Jordan, my goodness, like, I said it earlier in the year. I think we did one of our previews. Uh, I think we did the D-line rankings, right? Um, mm-hmm. Cam Jordan is as underrated of a player as we have in the National Football League. It's not just about sacks with him, but he's going to give you, you know, 12 to 14 to 15 sacks uh, a year. But the way he plays the run, the way he sets the edge, the way he spills stuff for, for the rest of his guys to make plays in the run game and the way he can get you those sacks. He had, uh, let me pull it up to be a hundred percent sure. He had four tackles, uh, three tackles for loss and a sack and a half. Like, those type of plays, when you're getting double-teamed, because he doesn't have Trey Henderson opposite him this year, he's seeing a lot more uh, attention as far as blocking and chipped and uh, getting schemed, you know, out of on sometimes. But for him to still step up and make those plays, on the last drop, he makes the game-winning sack. Like They still have those players to where when it's time to go make the plays, they're going to make them. So I don't want to stay on them too long. they got a long way to go, but they're in every game. Uh, you can count on their defense to probably step it up here. And, and shout out to the coaching staff. But like you said, Geno Smith, oh, my goodness, man. Like It's not an outlier. <laughs> it's not an outlier. He is, he is balling. I think he's playing like a guy that is free, a guy that knows what he's doing because he's been in the league so long. He understands the game. But it's not like he has to process things anymore. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's looking at. And he's playing like a guy that has nothing to lose because, in essence, he doesn't. The team isn't very good. It's his fourth or fifth chance to be a starter. So he knows whatever happens after this. I mean, he's, he's happy with it. He's playing free, and he's playing smart football, and huge shout-out to him. And Kenneth Walker looked very, very good yesterday. I know he, he had the long run, but eight carries for 88 yards and a touchdown, you can start to build with that. Um, wasn't he early second round? Not He was early second round, I believe. Um, draft pick for the Seattle Seahawks, and I think he's going to be very, very good going forward. And they get, I think Seattle's nucleus, their young core, is, is pretty solid. I think you can make some stuff happen, and I know a lot of people are saying they need a quarterback, but depending on how Gino keeps playing, <laughs> you, you, but it's like, I wanted to ask you that before we move on real quick. Like if he plays like this all season, what do you do a quarterback? Do you keep him? Do you try to move him um, to another organization? It's it's starting to become a, a conversation because he's playing so well, that might be worth keeping and seeing if you could build with.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately it will come down to where your final draft position is and if you see somebody in the draft you're in love with. But but the reality is he's just he's playing too well to, to do it for anybody other than somebody that you absolutely love. And they probably aren't going to be in a position to get that guy. It's a good quarterback yeah. class. Not deep enough for if you're picking 14, 15 that you're going to get it. And they may well end up with a draft pick like that just because of it. I mean... And but, like you said, their core is good. So if he is effectively leading that team, I think it just takes a little bit more to get to a point where they're legitimately competitive. I mean, they have <laughs> what looks to be a legitimate starting left tackle, a legitimate starting right tackle playing as rookies. You've got a bunch of guys. I mean, they've got Tariq Woolen play like, start like he's starting. He's, mm-hmm. he's playing, you know what I mean? And he is, if he puts it together, he is ridiculously physically gifted. Uh, you got Kenneth Walker who had a, a big run. I mean, shout out to the running game. I think Penny is pretty badly hurt if I remember yeah. right. I, yeah. So unfortunately he won't be there, but Kenneth Walker gets in there and he, he had a a, a monster run for 69 yards to score. So it's like these guys, they've got, play. I mean, let's, I mean, bury the lead on Tyler Lockett having a monster game and he just keeps chugging along in his career which has been excellent up to this point. And then DK Metcalf. I mean, like, what is it that right. you are missing that you can't assemble in an off season for that roster? Right. I mean, probably some yeah. more pass rush juice, but they've got a yeah, legit guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, but they've got a second round. I think they took him in the second round, boy, i And he's incredibly talented as well. I mean, they went all in on gifted players who they're going to try and develop. And, you know, add a little more. They've got two first-round picks this year, two second-round picks this year from from Denver, which will probably be very high. You know what? Right. Honestly, I forgot. They'll probably have a chance to draft a quarterback if they wanted to, just from the Denver picks. So, you know, I, I'll digress on them for now, just because we got to see how the season goes. But I mean, it's hard for me to justify going after a quarterback when you got one because Geno's talented physically as well. He was a high second-round pick. His issue right. was not. He's not that classic backup quarterback who lacks talent, but is just very heady and sticks around in the league that way. He's always had, you know, I would say above average physical gifts. So, like, I'm getting juiced up on the Seahawks (laughs) right
1: now. Yeah, man. It's it's, it's uh, an interesting team, man. Like you said, going forward, um, it'll be interesting to see how how they finish this season out. I wouldn't count them out um, for this season yet, maybe making the – a sneaky wild card pusher, maybe get into um, the division championship, but we'll hold off on them. We got to finish the rest, but I'm interested yeah. to see where they go, man.
0: All right. So let's move along to the Miami dolphins at the New York jets. Now, this is a game where we did not have a close score by the end of it. Uh, it, you know, Teddy Bridgewater starts the game. He goes out on the first offensive play. It's hard to give too, too, too much credit to a jets team beating up on a, seventh round rookie I guess he is the third string quarterback for the Dolphins but at the same time you do have to give a lot of credit to you know the overall caliber of talent that they've infused to that team just this offseason I mean we had impressive performances from the rookies in the past few weeks big time performance from Sauce Gardner this week from Brees Hall this week no passing touchdowns but five rushing touchdowns and I believe not a single turnover so it's a way to win, you know what I mean? And you get you can only beat who you play. So, I, I mean, I'm going to throw this to you because, you know, I'm a Jets fan. You're a Dolphins fan. This right. this We didn't really have a lot of back and forth prior to this game, but I want to hear how you feel about it.
1: Okay, so I'll be full, full disclosure. I stopped watching the game about halfway through the third. I think after they scored the touchdown to go up, uh, what's it, 26-17 or something? I stopped watching. I was like, I've seen enough. I think that people, Dolphins fans particularly, are way too hard on Skylar Thompson. I mean, he's—he was a seventh round pick for a reason. He's not supposed to be playing a football game in his—it's his week five. He's not supposed to be on the field week five of his rookie season. I mean, he went 19 for 33, 166 yards. He had a, a very poor touchdown that changed the complexity of the game. Um, but he's a seventh round pick playing in his first NFL game. Like he wasn't—he didn't know he was going to be playing. Like it's the third string quarterback. Both of the starting tackles are out. Um, and I saw some Jets fans saying, like, over the last couple of years, uh, we've had so many injuries, we don't want to hear it. Like, and that's one thing, but, like, okay, there's a difference between having injuries and then having all these injuries at one time. Like, both I'll be honest, right back, man.
0: Right? I, if you, you got to go back, I'll just throw this out there. You got to go back and look at what the Jets injury situation has been like the past two years. And I, I hear you that this is right. worse than average, but the Jets have had far worse than average over the past couple of years. I'll just say that, but go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and I mean, even their offensive line early this year has had some very bad injuries, but their offensive line was way better than the Dolphins' offensive line pre-injuries. The Dolphins, Dolphins' offensive line was bottom three the last two years in every identifiable category, and then they lost the guys that were actually playing on that line. So you're playing with essentially a preseason squad team up there on offensive line. You lose both of your starting cornerbacks. Tyreek Hill's injured with with the foot injury. Uh, Jalen Waddell's hamstring is hurt, even though those guys are out there playing. Xavier um, Howard's out. Uh, Byron Jones is out. Like uh, you, you have so many guys that are that are out in key in key positions. When you lose both your starting tackles, uh, both your starting corners, your your top two uh, quarterbacks, um, that tool was playing as good as any quarterback in the NFL. He was leading the league in QBR and yards before he went down. And I don't think that that's necessarily and uh, that's not the Jets' problem. It is not uh, necessarily the end all be all. I think that the defense, even without their best two corners, played terrible, and I don't think that you could overlook that in any capacity. It's not like the Dolphins had a bunch of turnovers; they had one, uh, they had one interception and one fumble late in the game. But Brees Hall, eighteen for ninety-seven yards and a touchdown. That has nothing to do with who was playing offense right now. That's everything to do with you being soft in the run game, not setting the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brees Hall, two catches, one hundred yards. Um, Chris Davis, two catches, thirty-eight yards. Um, uh, Gary Wilson, three catches, 27 yards. I say this to say those might not be like, um, highlight stat lines, but they are to me because they're big plays. If you got two catches and 38 yards, there was two big plays involved in there. You had a 27 yard catch and a 17 yard catch. Those are chunk plays. Mm-hmm. Um, two catches for a hundred yards. You had a 79 yard reception and then you had a 21 yard reception. Those are big chunk plays. I can keep going down the line. Um, but I think the Jets should be proud of this win. They should be happy. I don't think Dolphins fans should be salty about it at all. You lost a game that you probably should have lost. When you lose that many impact players, when you lose that many starters, it's dif- difficult to overcome. Where I think you go from this is um, it was a division game that could have put the Dolphins in the driver's seat. If you go 3-0 and in the division, uh, excuse me, 4-0 in the division in your first five weeks of the season, that would be absolutely incredible. So I think from that standpoint, the Dolphins are... A little upset, but before I pass it back to you, I got one guy that I have to shout out, and that's Elijah Barrett Tucker. And I, I keep there's three guys that I'll, I'll pick from my performance of the week, and it'll be Taysom Hill, Elijah Barrett Tucker, or Justin Tucker. Head beside the jet, but <laughs> Elijah Barrett Tucker for him to, uh, you know, play left tackle last week, be, be dominant, look very good, bump over to right tackle this week, and get right back to work and look just as good on the right side. Um, he's played guard. He's played right. If I'm not mistaken, he's played right and left guard. He's literally played every position on the offensive line in the first two years of his career, except for center. So when you take that into account, that guy, I think a lot of people didn't like that pick at that uh, that position. Uh, a lot of people didn't really know what he was going to project as as far as positional positionally. He can do it all. And that's very rare. I don't think that I've ever seen. A guy that could do it so seamlessly. He's literally played every position on the offensive line but center. So huge shout-out to Elijah Brad Tucker. And shout-out to my guy Trevor Trout because he told me he was going to be a a Hall of Famer one day. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, come on, bro. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. And I still don't think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But he's damn, damn good. And you have to take that into account.
0: For sure. I mean, so basically he played left guard at USC as a junior. Went back and played left tackle as a senior um, after Austin Jackson went into the draft. And it wasn't quite as good. He doesn't have the longest arms, so there's that whole conversation. Basically, he basically showed his versatility but projected as a very good guard in the NFL. The Jets traded up to get him. That conversation has been had a thousand times. He played okay as a rookie. He had his growing pains, just like most offensive linemen do. He... Moves over to right guard to start this season because they signed Lakin and Tomlinson and they want to get their best five out there. They want to keep Lakin where he's comfortable. Jumps over to left tackle last week because they just keep getting hurt and hurt and hurt. Plays well. Jumps over to right tackle this week. Plays well. And, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible what he's done. It's not just that he's played all the positions in the first two years. He's basically played all positions but center in, like, 17 games. So, I mean, we're talking about a very small sample size of effective play for one versatile offensive lineman. Hall of Fame, it's way, way, way too early right. to to call that out. But, I mean, it you Fresh. know, it's hard to point to anything that we say. You
1: know, he played with them in USC, so he's just going to gas his boy up. I mean, that was way – like I said, he's still <laughs> out of his mind. Saying that. There's, even like I think Will Anderson is the most sure prospect I've ever seen Um, coming out of college, but I would never say he's going to be a surefire Hall of Famer, so that's just him hyping up his boy, but for for now, he's played incredible, especially for the situation, but um, we can move on from that one, because there ain't much to talk about for that one. You know what? Shout out to the Jets front office, though, because like you said, they have infused that team with a bunch of young talent, and if they can stay healthy, they'll be a decent team. I still don't think that they have to answer a quarterback, and that'll prevent them from being a playoff or a real contender, but they have built that team with a lot of talent now, so
0: Shout out to the front office. Yeah, Zach Wilson, he played very well in the fourth quarter last week. He he basically won them that game. This week, he didn't lose them the game. 66% completion percentage, no touchdowns, no turnovers, and a rushing touchdown. And so he's showing versatility. Last week, he had a receiving touchdown. But he scares the heck out of me. That rushing touchdown he scored, that should never happen. He's going to get himself knocked out of a game. Don't do that, well, Zach. Do not do that. That's,
1: that's his M.O. He does it all the time. He just – he's mm-hmm. very, like – I don't understand. What, I don't feel like this should call any design quarterback runs for, for him either. It has to be a wrinkle every once in a while because he just showed that he has no awareness when he's running the football. Slide, get down, like everybody – I think it's cool to see a lot of people are happy that he's a football player that plays quarterback. Everybody likes that mm-hmm. toughness and all that stuff, but you got to protect it, bro. You're a second overall pick. Look. It's also not running.
0: Josh Allen, man. He's like yeah, significantly like <laughs> smaller than Josh Allen. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Let's move on. Uh I'm happy the Jets won. And at least they, you know, they won the game they should have won. That's right. you can say right. that. Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, man, I don't almost don't even want to spend that much time on this because I feel like it's just kind of negative. I want to give a lot of props to the Dallas Cowboys for what they have done over the past few weeks. They win 22 to 10. They have grinded out football. They have a tremendous defense, very good pass rush. I mean, their offensive output was one rushing touchdown and three field goals. And they won this game. That should tell you everything that you need to know. Unfortunately for the Rams, it's, it's, what are we doing here? I mean, I, we, we talked about them last week because they were on Monday Night Football, right? I think. So, uh, it's a lot of the same issues, but it, do we see a recipe for them to turn this thing around here?
1: Yeah, you can call Von Miller, Odell Beckham, and, and and Andrew Whitworth and bring those guys back and, and that might fix it. <laughs> but other than that, they aren't a good football team. I think we just need to call them spade a spade. Um, they, aren't, they aren't a very good football team and, and even the games that they won, right? They won twenty to twelve over the Cardinals. Um the Cardinals are a, a, a very average team to me. Um and then they got they, they got by the Falcons very narrowly. The Falcons had a chance to win that ballgame going in. Realistically, they could be sitting here at one and four. Um and nobody would bat now because they've been that bad. They aren't very good, they aren't very well rounded, they can't run the ball, they can't protect. Um, they're way too one dimensional in the passing game. Cooper Cup had another ten targets. I mean, he he made one play. He had that big play right um, on the crosser where they created some space with, with Diggs, and um, he he just made a play happen. And that was the only touchdown that they scored. However, they still way one two one two dimensional on offense, and their defense is very very bad. I think people just need to just call it <laughs> what it is. Like they have two generational players, and the rest of the guys on that defense aren't very good. I think Bobby Wagner has definitely improved over the last, you know, he had a rough two first two games, but he's been very good the last three games. You know, I, I'll give him his credit. So he's a, he's one of the best. He's all, He was always going to figure it out. But besides Aaron Donald, uh, Bobby Wagner, and Jalen Ramsey, the rest of those guys aren't very good. But I do have to give a shout-out to AD. I uh, tweeted it out yesterday um, through five games. I and mean, this is all while he's getting doubled, sometimes tripled. He's getting chipped in all the passing games. He's getting double-teamed in the run games. He has 21 tackles. He has six tackles for loss. He has four and a half sacks and he has like 15 or something quarterback pressures, uh, two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery. Absolutely insane. He's still the best interior defense alive in by a mile, um, but free him. Like I know he just signed a contract for all that money. He doesn't, he's already won a Bowl. His career is essentially complete, but it's, it's, it's disheartening watching him have to go through that every week. Um, and other than that, there's nothing else really to talk about with the offense of the Cowboys, but shout out to Zeke and Tony Pollard, the best one, two punch, in the NFL right now. I love Kareem and Chubb, but Kareem's become more of a receiver, um an auxiliary guy to the backfield than the actual running back. So those guys for my money are the two best right now. But other than that, Cowboys defense is incredible. Rams sucked. McVay's overrated. Washing my hands with
0: <laughs> Look, uh, I mean, so first of all, my pick for defensive player of the year was Nick Bosa, who was leading the league, I think, in in sacks and pressures and all that before he, you know, went out with his groin injury. So Without him, this game featured the two best defensive players in the NFL right now. So that's cool as a guy who likes defensive football. That was fun to watch. But the reality is, it's tough to be a great defense if you only have a few good stars. It's actually kind of mind-blowing that that's worked for them over the past few years. Because any time that you are a reactionary unit, which you know in pass pro offensive line is a reactionary unit. DBs are a reactionary unit. Um, on run plays the defensive line is a reactionary unit defense in general is overall more of a reactionary unit anytime you are one a weak link is much more detrimental to your team than if you are a a proactive unit right so like if you have a bad receiver but you have good other skill players you can overcome that easily or not easily but you can overcome it defensively that's really tough to do they have done it they have found just role players to fill in all over the place and really relied on their stars to change the numbers. But you know, it, it kind of is just that there is a time where that will not work anymore. And as of right now, maybe we're jumping the gun maybe, but it's not, it's, it looks like that's over right now. So offensive line, same deal for them. It, it's just, it's not, it's not working. So Dallas Cowboys go four no, um, they look legit. I'm so curious to see what happens with that team once Dak Prescott gets back, and, and it's just wild to me that they start 0 1, they lose their starting quarterback, and they promptly go on a four game winning streak. It's it's yeah. the stuff that
1: 30 for 30 is is made of. You know, <laughs> um, all right. There is no controversy uh, right. though. Like I know a lot of people talked about it, but and I'm one of those guys. I think that they should stick with Cooper Rush because the they call the games <laughs> better. They're they're more efficient. But there is no controversy. When he gets back, he's going to play. But I would be interested to see if that changes the identity of the team. If you go from running the ball 40 right. times a game and that's more beneficial for you to going back to throwing 40 times a game and risking the turnovers and not giving you know the guys the ball as much in, in, in between the tackles. So that's going to change the way the offensive line plays and the way the game's called. So um, there is no controversy. People need to let that go, even me included. But uh, <laughs> like you said, well, I would be interested to see how it changes the dynamic of the way the offense is called.
0: They should, t- they should learn from it and utilize that. That doesn't mean that they should, you know, right. do something foolish. All right. Last afternoon game before we get to Sunday Night Football here. This game was closer than it probably should have been, but it just shows you how dangerous the Cardinals can be. We have the Philadelphia Eagles in Arizona walking away with a 20-17 victory, squeaking out. As the Cardinals miss a, I believe, 48-yard field goal. So, mm-hmm. this was close. Cardinals had a real opportunity to send it to overtime. I, I I, didn't love some of the decisions that were made by the Eagles coaching staff in this game. The one that I will point out in particular is it was like at the very beginning of the fourth quarter. They are almost in prevent defense. And I, yeah. I think they're only up by one touchdown. You're acting like you are you're you're playing up two touchdowns or you're playing up one touchdown with 3 minutes left to go or something. It I didn't really love that and it gave the Cardinals an opportunity to score. Now I know that, you know, Murray likes his downfield throws, but the reality is like you're making it too easy for them to go down and and uh, and come back. I mean, it sounds to me like you you don't necessarily agree. I felt like they should have been more aggressive because that offensive line for the Cardinals is no good. They did not hold up the pressure well. And as soon as as soon as the uh, as soon as it got close, they did unload the pressure, and it completely worked in their favor. I just felt like they should have been doing that sooner.
1: I mean, that's totally fair. But the one thing that um, I probably think they were scared of is that the Cardinals do have a lot of team speed and as far as being able to stretch vertically, they have uh Hollywood Brown, um, you know, Rondell Moore, they have guys that can stretch the field vertically. And in those situations, I am of the mindset of you, let your guys lose, let them get after the quarterback, um, and trust your DBs, trust Slay, trust, uh, CJ, uh, Chauncey Gardner, Chauncey, what's his name? Chauncey Gardner Johnson, excuse me, um, to, to man <laughs> yeah. up and, and, and lock up, um, Trust your safeties. I, I believe that they have the talent and the ability to do that. But I also see what they were probably saying. Like, you don't want to give up a 70 yard pass to, to Hollywood or, or Rondell. And Ron. they both did great. I mean, uh, Hollywood has eight catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. Rondell has seven catches for 68 yards. Um it's like Ertz has six, six catches for 48 yards. I mean, they did a very good job of spreading the ball around. Um, I think. I was very impressed by the Eagles yesterday, though. Um, The Cardinals, and just shout-out to Kyler Murray because he just completely saves Cliff time and time and time and time again. I think Cliff, along with McVay, is one of the more overrated guys in the game right now. Um, The way that Cliff leaves his offensive line out the drive, they are very good to start off with. But the amount of five-step that he calls and empty, the amount of um, just long-developing passing game things uh, that he calls and never just spills them in the run game. I mean... James Connor had nine carries for 55 yards, and I don't think he had a carry in the third or fourth quarter. Um, that's unacceptable to me. Like, I know he, he had, was a little beat up, but you can't be so one-dimensional. That puts your quarterback out of disservice. That puts your offensive line out of disservice. Um, it's harder for your receiver, receivers to get open. I just think that they are very one-dimensional, and it is – very very good that and after this week coming up deandre hopkins gets back so i'll be very interested to see how much better the offense looks with and how much better Kyler looks with him coming back but back to the eagles i was so impressed by them just finding a way to win because it is the nfl they're close games every week and you have to find a way to win and that drive after the cardinals went back and tied it up where they just drove the ball all the way down the field. I can't remember exactly how long the drive was, but Jalen Hurts. That's exactly me so the much. drive
0: though. That's the right. that's the drive when when they tied it up, you know, Benjamin scored. That's the drive where I noticed that they're just playing way too soft. Right. You know what I mean? and it is it didn't work out. Anyway. Right. Sorry to interrupt. And no, you. Go
1: no, ahead. no, 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 I agree with you, but uh what Jalen Hurts in turn did coming back and responding. It's like uh like you just said, that's something they'll probably clean up in in the meet. they will probably look like this was bad. We're too soft. We're giving up too much. We're putting our offense in a bad position, but for the offense to be in that position and to come back and um, drive the ball down the field um, to to put themselves in a position to win. uh, They got the field goal. They drove the ball down the field. And then you put it on your defense and your defense semi came through for you. I think that um, the Cardinals with a little bit better situationally uh, managing the game could have probably got a couple more plays off. But to me, a lot of seeing a lot of people giving collar crap, but to me that's on the coach. If you go watch it, Cliff is telling them to get up and go spike it. Cliff is like, get up, get up, get up. It's third down. You can't spike the ball on third down. Like have mm-hmm. a quick play, uh, hand the ball off, quarterback sneak, whatever, and then get up and spike the ball. But that is on coaching. That is also on collar. But um, just finishing that point, you have to win ugly sometimes, and I think that that's what they did. Uh, they found a way to win, and their stars played like stars yesterday. Dallas Goddard, eight catches for 95 yards. Devontae Smith, 10 catches for 87 yards. Jalen Hurts, uh, 26 to 36, 239 yards. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but 15 carries, 61 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. um, Finding a way to win, and I think that was the most impressive part of that game. It's not easy to go on the road in the NFL and win, and finding a way to win is all you need to do. And they're 5-0 for a reason. I think they're the most complete team in football. Uh, Sirianni, I will give him much more credit. I think that he was the reason that they only snuck into the playoffs last year. He's finally, you know, found the run pass balance. He was either throwing the ball way too much, being one dimensional there or just running the ball the entire time and not giving, you know, Jalen Hurst the opportunity to throw the ball and to grow as a quarterback. I think you're seeing the perfect blend of both right now. And that's why they're 5-0. Yeah. I and
0: mean, I know you're a big fan of Hollywood Brown this season. He is playing well. Um, very explosive. He looks, he looks dialed in and right. uh, look, you know, to Hassan Reddick as well, big time sack on third down, situationally winning in key moments. And that's one thing I wanted to comment on about uh, Cam Jordan that um, that you when you were talking about earlier, but the, the moment passed. One of the reasons that these guys are so good and that they're leaders and stars is because they win in the key moments on third down. They get in and they get the sack. They set the tone for the rest of the defense for the whole team. And Mm -hmm. uh, Hassan Reddick has been having a really good year. And and now that he's found his role and he's being utilized correctly, which ironically is, you know, it's funny that we're talking about that. Actually, I didn't even mean to, but Arizona was where it took him forever to, to be put in that situation. But digress. Good win for the Eagles. Last thing I will say about the Eagles. Sometimes I really get scared for Jalen hurts because he is a good runner. And he can escape the pocket but he is a linear runner he is not really a lateral runner and I get very sometimes I feel like his head is about to get taken off because he doesn't turn around like when he spins out of something he doesn't he's not like Kyler Murray he's not like like Lamar Jackson he's not like these guys with this tremendous change of direction where they spin out and they immediately can step away from a defender who's in their face (laughs) and and give themselves a little distance he doesn't have that and I feel like there are moments where he is so close to getting knocked out of the game and absolutely crushed because he's he he, he is a good ball carrier, but I I have moments where I get very scared of that. Uh, any do you have a comment on that before we move on to Sunday night football?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's the risk you run at quarterback in general when you use your quarterback so much. I hate how much Josh Allen has ran for the Bills, even though he's a tank. He's built for it. Um, I hate how much he's had to run over the course of the last two years. I hate seeing Jalen run. I was going to say that. I'm glad you brought it up. But 15 carries at quarterback, and a lot of those were design runs. It's not like he's just breaking out of the pocket mm-hmm. and taking off. A lot of those were design runs. Um, it, it's going to be tough to maintain that over 17 games of the regular season and then in turn for the playoffs when, you know, the, the intensity just bumped up three or four levels. So slide, Jalen, please. Uh, <laughs> quarterbacks yeah. in general, slide. Zach Wilson, slide, please to throw the ball away like I could just keep going down the line Mm -hmm. Uh, these guys want to take your head off so don't give them the opportunity um other than that you know great job from the Eagles and and company um great job from Howie in the front office I think they're the most complete team of football right now um keep going and and we'll we'll see a lot next week the Cowboys versus the Eagles is going to be my biggest matchup next week uh, because we're going to learn a lot about both of those teams we're going to learn how good the Eagles' offensive line actually is. They're going to get their biggest test of the year, and we're going to learn how good the Cowboys' defense actually is because they're going to get their best test of the year. So um, I'm excited to see that matchup.
0: For sure. All right. Prime time. Divisional matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens walk away with the victory, 19-17. to Big-time kicks by Justin Tucker. The f- it's fun to watch kicker feeling himself, especially a guy who's like so steady Eddie as Justin Tucker. Very important for them in this game. We were messaging about, I think it was on Twitter. We were, we were, <laughs> we were posting about it. Right. This, this story wrote itself, right? As soon as you give the ball to Lamar Jackson with an opportunity to win it with a field goal and you've got a healthy Justin Tucker. I mean, for three touch, you don't even, uh, excuse me, uh, timeouts. You don't even need three, team out, three timeouts. Right. Give them one, give them none. They are going to get in position for that. It was easy. And that's the closing of the game. Let's get into the nitty gritty of the rest of it. Um, Joe Burrow, 24 of 35, but only 217 yards. I mean, it's like they want to go downfield, they want to to get that big passing game going, but they just can't do it. They just can't protect well. They came in to get to this game against a Baltimore Ravens secondary that has been giving up a lot of big plays. And I know that some of those numbers are a little bit skewed because they yeah. have played both the Bills and the Dolphins before Tua got hurt and they just went I mean they went off in that game. Um, the the Dolphins receivers did so some of that has to do with that I, I think that they will be a little bit tighter in coverage against some of these other teams that aren't so explosive but still they had opportunities but they just can't protect uh, I mean look what, what's what's the stat line here Jamar Chase seven catches for 50 yards 7.1 to carry that or, uh, per per reception for Jamar Chase that is not explosive I mean, I want to talk about that too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Hayden Hurst, great that he's revived his career six catches for 53 yards and a touchdown. He's being a role player for them. That should not be your leading receiver if you are the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase. I mean, heck, Samaji Purine had more explosive plays, I think, as as a receiver. So uh, you're the offensive guy here. What what's happening? What is the issue here? I I have my take, but it's so, it's like I think you so probably a lot. have a better
1: one. Well, I like to hear your take still, but there's a lot, right? One, Zach Taylor's not very good, and I think that it is being exposed time and time and time and time and time again. Number two, Joe Burrow struggles throwing side to side. He he struggles with with the hash throws, taking the underneath stuff. Uh, He's great at extending plays and making something out of nothing, but. The, the play designs. Uh, he's much more of a vertical seam thrower, a deep ball thrower. That's where he excels. That's where he, um, that's his bread and butter. But without T. Higgins there to stretch the field, um, to occupy an- another guy, to create more one-on-ones. Because if you notice, let's really talk about it. Because I had a lot of people telling me J. Chase was a top three receiver in the NFL already. And I'm like, are you guys, do you guys know what you're looking at? Even his seven catches he had last night, on 12 targets, by the way, because i let you know how much they were trying to go to him but he had seven catches for 50 yards. Like three of them were, were or three or four of them were just quick screens or, or just quick slants, getting the ball to him. Cause every time they got one-on-one, every time they got man on him, they went to him and Marcus Peters was making great plays, making tackles, breaking, getting pass breakups. Um, uh, 22, I forget his name right now, but 22 for the Ravens played the hell of a game, uh, pass breakups coverage. They struggle when they don't, they don't have somebody that can stretch the field and dump the ball off to Jamar chase or stretch the field, and occupy, um, one or two guys or or, or clear out outside the, the field and get Jamar Chase one on one with the deep ball. They're freestyle offense essentially. Like that's what they do well. They get the ball to their guys in speed and space. They they, they threaten you vertically and they beat you throwing the ball down the field. When they don't have those three guys healthy cuz they all complement each other, it is very very difficult for them to get anything going. And I think you're seeing it time and time again. Um and, and I know a lot of people are unfairly, you know, jumping on Burrow like what's what's going on? He looks different this year. Of course he does. Like The offensive line still isn't very good. The tape is out. People have already adjusted. And this is what you're going to get more and more and more of. Uh, One thing I will say, though, is I was impressed with how good the run game looked yesterday. Um, Joe Mixon had 14 carries for 78 yards. Samadja Piran had three carries for 17 yards. I think they should go back to pounding the football more. More first down runs, more second down runs. And then with your Hayden Hurst, with your Jamar Chase, when you get those guys in those short yardage situations where those seven catches for 50 yards, could have been much more impactful if they were if they were third down conversions or fourth down conversions where he's keeping the sticks moving. I think that if you get more aggressive running the ball on first and second down, that's going to open it up for Burrow. Even with you know T Higgins out with the with the I think it was hamstring or ankle injury. Oh, it's ankle injury. Uh, with the ankle injury that was hampering him, keeping him out. Uh, you need to do what works. Stop trying to force it. Uh, and even we'll get back to the late game decision making from both teams, but until they. Uh, make a decision to establish an identity. Um, I think that you're going to see more of these struggles, and I predicted before the season started that the Bengals wouldn't make the playoffs, and it's looking pretty good for me right now. Um, I'm not like just praying on their downfall, but it's just like, from what I saw from a football perspective, they aren't very good to me. They got hot at the right time. Their defense created uh, almost two turnovers per game in the, in the uh, playoffs, and that's a winning recipe. But if you look at how much points they scored in those games, they weren't scoring a lot of points in those playoff games. The defense is playing out of their mind, and now you're seeing the spillover to this season. They've had a couple of injuries, but I just don't think they're that good of a football team.
0: Yeah, I get you. I, I mean, it, it really all rests in in exactly how hot Joe, Joe, Joe,
1: Joe Burrow can, can
0: get. I really do feel that way, because the way that he has played at his peak so far in his young career, he can carry a team to a victory in any given week. It's just going to be tough to ask him to do that, Repeatedly, the offensive line. Uh, you know, it's it's such an interesting conversation because we talk about it. Do we want to have stars on the offensive line? Ideally, yeah. Do you do you need to make sure that you don't have any major liabilities? One hundred percent. They thought they did that this year by signing the the probably the worst player on a bunch of different offensive lines in free agency, right? They signed. The worst offensive lineman from the Bucks, They signed the worst offensive lineman from the Colts. Or, no, actually, Galinsky, he went to the, the Giants. Who, who else did they sign? They signed, oh.
1: Collins, they signed from the Collins from the Cowboys. Collins
0: from the Cowboys. I don't know
1: but they're don't playing know if that's him the worst, at tackle but... when he's a— He wasn't the worst, but he's the worst when he's playing tackle. Uh, he's a guard, mm-hmm. and they have him playing left tackle. I don't like it. I think that he should be bumped in playing guard. That's where he's excelled at. That's where he's been dominant in the run game, pulling— that's where he's uh Excel cleaning up stuff. He's, you know, we call it uh, slabs, right? When, when you get a, uh, let's say you get a three man pressure or you get a four man pressure and the guy drops and you are free as a, as a guard where you can go clean up stuff. He slabs better than anybody in the, in the game, uh, essentially like um, that's where he excels. So the fact that they have him playing tackle is not um, the best thing for him, even though it might be the best thing situationally uh, for the Bengals uh, for him as a player individually, he is much better at guard. So Kind of confusing. Like you said, they, they signed like maybe the weakest. Ted link Karras of is won. the other one. Right. Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, or was it? And um Lyle yeah. Collins. Like and Collins. It, it's, it, it's just interesting, right? Because you like you said, you signed maybe the worst guy on some of the best offensive lines. Those guys were good because not they're good because they're good players, but they were excelling because they were playing next to even better players, and that makes their job much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh a Ethan Posick in as the center at the Browns right now. He's been a journeyman over the course of his year. And I hate that phrase because there's no way you can be a journeyman if somebody's paying you a million dollars to play a sport. They keep signing you for a reason. But he's also bounced around for a reason. So he hasn't been able to stick because he's been struggling, right? play. Um, I know he's at the Seahawks for a while. But he looks like an all-pro starting for the Browns right now at center because he's playing next to two all-pros. He's playing next yeah. to Wyatt Teller. He's playing next to Joel Batonio. When those guys are next to you, it elevates your level. It makes things easier for you to run around and, and, and you know, be block guys and get up to the second level. So when you play next to uh, better guys, it makes you look better. But um, I don't think the Bengals' offensive line is the issue, though. Like I just said, they, they're very good at run blocking so far. Um, they've struggled a little bit, but I don't think they've tried to establish it enough. Um, we saw last night they ran the ball 21 times for 100 yards. That's five yards per carry. In the NFL, you can't answer so much more than five yards per carry, especially against a front like the Ravens. Um, Piron and Mixon were very good running the ball. I think everybody just drank the burrow and the Chase Kool-Aid way too soon. Um, they made something. You got to go back and watch how they did it. It was so many explosive plays. It was so many. Um, I'm throwing a, a five-yard slant, and Jamar Chase is a freak athlete that takes it yeah. 70 yards. Or I'm just throwing up a one-on-one and making uh, – I'm throwing up a one-on-one to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, and they're such – gifted athletes that they're going to make plays for me that's what they were relying upon last year it wasn't an efficient thinking do ball down the, off, uh, down the field offense I know Joe, Joe Burrow led the um, league in completion percentage last year but that's because he's throwing the ball five yards or he vomited up the Higgins and Jamar Chase and they're making plays for him but I don't think that that was sustainable and listen this might be my favorite thing that I've been right about so far because everybody's like they're going to be right back they're going to be right back Joe Burrow's this Joe Burrow's back and he's very good don't get me wrong but it was not sustainable. And I think you're seeing it's not sustainable so far.
0: Yeah. I I picked him to to win the division. I picked the Ravens to make the playoffs. I just wasn't totally sure what they were going to look like after so many injuries last year. I just, I kind of thought it might take some time for them to round back into form. If you want me to be honest, I still expect the Bengals to make the playoffs as a wild card, at least just because, just because of the explosive talent that they do have, but only time will tell as far as that goes. Um, Let's talk about the Ravens quick before we Close wrap out, this yeah. up here today. It's been, it's been fun, but um, all good things must come to an end. Lamar Jackson has a, he has a day. I mean, it's 19 of 32 passing, 174 yards, touchdown, and a pick. 58 yards on the ground. The reality is it was not a crazy good day for him, but when it's crunch time, when it's the two-minute drive, when you got to win it, he went out there and did it. I love J.K. Dobbins hitting five and a half yards per carry. Why does he only have eight carries, though? I know he's still coming back from from the injury, but eight carries doesn't seem like enough in my opinion. I know they, they gave Drake a few carries. They gave Devin DuVernay some carries, which I like. I like Devin DuVernay as a player, but that only took up three. Why does Mike Davis have a carry and J.K. Dobbins only eight? That's. I have a question. Do you have an answer to that?
1: I don't. I, I I was thinking the same thing. I think that what they saw was, and let's be very frank about it. Lamar Jackson played bad yesterday by his standards. That was a bad game, and I'm <laughs> the biggest and I'm the biggest Lamar Jackson fan in the world. But he missed easy throws in the first, you know, three quarters, time and time again. If he was uh, at MVP, uh, top tier quarterback, Lamar level last night, they win that game by by three touchdowns, in my opinion. He missed. Very easy throws that he knows. He threw a very bad pick that uh, got those guys back in the game. They went and scored and then ended up going into the halftime because of that. Like He played bad. But his bad game is still 19 for 32, 174 yards, a touchdown, 12 carries, 58 yards, and making every throw. I'll say from about halfway through the fourth quarter, those last two drives, he looked incredible. He made every throw he needed to make. He was clutch. And I think it's time to say it. I know nobody wants, to, nobody wants to say it because everybody loves George Kittle that much. But Mark Andrews is tied in, too. It's, 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 it's official. Mark Andrews is the second-best tight end in, in the game right now. Um, what he does in pass blocking, run blocking, what he does receiving, uh, he's the second-best tight end he's tied into. too. Uh, but finishing up the point about the run game, I think what they saw was Lamar just missing the throws, and they figured that at some point he was going to make those throws. It was wide open. So when it's that wide open and you have the possibilities to get those chunk plays um, and you have Ronnie Stanley back, you get guy back, you feel a little bit better dropping back. Um, I think that's what they saw. They just kept going back to it because it was going to work. And eventually it did. Though, Like I said, those last two drives, it was open and Lamar, Lamar made the throws. But going forward, run the dang ball. I'm an offensive lineman. I'm always going to say it. Uh, run the dang ball. Kenyon Drake, four carries, 26 yards. Duvernay, three carries, 24 yards. That is high level efficiency. So those might not be like, wild plays to most people, but to me, that lets me know everybody had a very high yard per carry, so that means everybody being successful in your offense line was doing a great job. Lean on that a little bit more, and, and, and kind of, like, shorten the game. Take these guys out of the game more, and they'll be fine going forward. I think the Ravens are going to be a 3C, probably, coming out of the AFC. I think they'll win the division, be a 3C, should be 5-0 right now.
0: My power rankings last week, I had them 4th overall, so yeah, I have a lot left. of respect for them. Honestly, I that's why I'm a little bit frustrated. I felt like they should have come out a little bit better. Yeah, well wonderful. Especially in primetime, man. Like Primetime is the closest thing you can to simulate, especially in the division. It's the closest thing you can really have to simulate a playoff game. I mean, it's it's not the same thing, but I would have liked yeah. to see a little bit more of a dominant performance. Ultimately, they do win. I love Mark Andrews, man. He is such a yeah. mismatch.
1: Kittle? Kittle, He's tied into too, if you Kittle? tell me. Let, me. let me walk it back a little bit. If you tell Look, me he's the, best. <laughs> the thing
0: about Kittle is he has such an incredibly physical play style that he will overwhelm you, but he is also detrimental to his own well-being. And that's one of the reasons that he's always hurt. It's not because he's fragile. It's because he plays like an absolute maniac. And it's fun to watch but he i think he's going to ruin his overall longevity and yeah mark Andrews is an absolute mismatch he's the second best tight end in the league behind Travis Kelsey I agree with you he's his change of direction is is incredible i I, I love watching him wrap around a linebacker like run it over the across the middle of the field he's like you know he hits his break he wraps around he doesn't even take the inside leverage he takes the outside wraps it, he's He's just he, a mismatch for for pretty much anybody that wants to try and cover him, and he is their wide receiver one. However, oh you yeah. want to spin it, no question. So, all right, that's it. I think I have. I think demarion Williams is twenty two. I think he's their fourth round rookie for them. So just to okay, yeah. give his his name the shout out, and you know it, Patrick yes, Queen got his uh his got got his pick too, which was which was an impressive pick. He he dropped pretty far back into coverage and cut that ball basically right in the face. So. Um, I think that'll do it. Uh, any, any closing statements on Sunday night football? Cause after this, what I do is I usually just blast through the NFL and give the scores for the, uh, for the week. So I think, I think we're about there
1: last thing and we'll, we'll be done. If I have Lamar Jackson, that offensive line, JK Dobbins and Mark Andrews, there's no way I'm not going forward on fourth and down Us uh, fourth and one going in on like the three yard yes. line. Listen, yeah. I, I get it. I'm tired of hearing about analytics. I don't care. Like, I'm trusting Lamar Jackson. I'm trusting Mark Andrews. I'm trusting J.K. Dobbins and that offensive line. Um, It worked out for them. And and I know a lot of people, like, just take the points. And 90% 90 of the time, I'm going to take the points, guy. But the fact that I do have those guys at my disposal, I'm doing it. And I know a lot of people said he went forward on fourth last week um, and they didn't get it. But that was a different situation. They were ahead in that game. Um, You know, they, they needed that to, you know, try to give them a little bit of cushion. Um, with the, they Bills, were also but,
0: facing a, a different offense. Like I, 100%. it was totally
1: different situation,
0: and I supported it then. But I right. also would have liked to have done it last night as well. I right. agree with you.
1: And the thing is, you don't have to score. In that situation, they had to score. Uh, this situation, you just needed a yard, and you could have gotten a first down on the two yard line. Mm-hmm. Run mm-hmm. the ball. You had you averaged over five yards per carry, especially from your uh, primary back. You have Lamar Jackson on the quarterback's knee. You got Tyler Landerbaum in there. And sent, I would have done anything, but like I said, it worked out. Harbaugh's won a Super Bowl. He gets to make those calls. Uh, he's one of the best. He's the third longest tenure guy in the NFL. I'm never going to question him, but I just thought it was a little bit of soft, c- 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 like considering their identity and what they've become over the years. But it worked Sounds out. Sounds like you're questioning him. <laughs> I mean, I'm not questioning him from a from a from a situational standpoint. I get it. I get I'm it. saying I that get it. the Ravens' identity. Yeah, the Ravens' identity, bro, that's like the Steelers kicking the field goal right there. It's the AFC North. Take it down the throw, man. But hello the a week. I'm excited.
0: All right, so let's run it down real quick. Okay, obviously, we're not talking about this game today, but it will come up probably tomorrow because Kyron will be back with me. We're going to recap Monday Night Football, talk about some of the big takeaways from the week, some of our big performers and, and whatnot. But... Colts beat the Broncos on Thursday Night Football 12-9. to My God, what an atrocious game. Uh, it's truly. Just talked about the Giants-Packers. Giants win 27-22. The Patriots shut out the Lions 29-0. to So that game, we didn't talk about it today, but right. that's also we'll a basketball. conversation we'll have to have. Chargers beat the Browns 30-28. Texans beat the Jaguars 13-6. to some exposure there a little bit. Uh, Buccaneers beat the Falcons 21 to 15. The game wasn't really as close as that score would indicate. Bills blow out the Steelers 38 to three. I was happy taking the Bills minus 14 in that game. I was joyous about it. And obviously not even close to large enough of a spread. Jets beat the Dolphins 40 to 17. Vikings beat the Bears 29-22. I want to get your take on Justin Fields tomorrow. That can be a brief conversation we have. Titans over the Commanders 21-17. Saints 39-32 over the Seahawks. 49ers beat up on the Panthers 37-15. Matt Rule loses his job today, as we have just discovered. The Arizona Cardinals lose 17-20 to the Eagles. Cowboys 22-10 over the Rams. And then, of course, Sunday Night Football, Ravens 19-17 to over the Bengals. That will lead us into the Raiders versus Chiefs on Monday Night Football. I have a conversation with Mario Tavar from RaiderRamble.com coming right up here. Although that we didn't do in video yet because that was recorded last week. But that will be part of this episode. And that's going to do it. Kyron, let everybody know where they can find you and your work. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow morning to recap everything we just talked about.
1: Um, first of all, go follow all of the Gridiron Heroics uh, handles on social media. We're Gridiron Heroics on Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, and then also follow us on YouTube where we'll be putting all this stuff up. Uh, we're, we're close to hundred, well, 1,000 subscribers, I believe, so let's get us the 1K pretty soon and smash uh, mm-hmm. that like and subscribe, and then you can follow me at Kyron Samuels, K-Y-R-O-N-S-A-N-D-L-S on all socials, so uh, thank you for having me again, man. I'm excited to talk about uh, Monday night football tomorrow, so it will be exciting.
0: Yeah, man, I'm excited for some consistency or to talk about all these games because we get we'll get our takes on every single team over the course of the season pretty, pretty right. well. So, all right, so hang tight for Mario Tovar and I to talk about some Las Vegas Raiders versus Kansas City Chiefs football. That's coming right up, and Kyron, we will see you tomorrow, gamblers. Wagerers and Riverboat Ramblers. Tonight, we pick. All right, I am back with my friend Mario Tovar from RaiderRamble.com. Mario came on the show earlier this summer. We talked about some expectations for the Raiders. Uh, I think that uh, expectations were a little higher, there were a few reservations. The season up to this point has been a little bit disappointing to say the least, but they do have a Monday night game tonight against the Kansas City Chiefs, and he is here to help me preview it and break down what the team looks like right now. How are you doing, Mario?
2: I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me back on here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. It's good to have you back. Um, so, look, the like, like I said, the Raiders' season so far has been a little bit disappointing. I, I think... To say that it's lost at this point would be a little bit premature. There are clear issues with the offensive line. Um, I think there's things to be hopeful about, certainly with the skill players, with the defense has looked you know, like it can round into shape. But what are your thoughts on exactly how the Raiders have gotten to the point that they are right now?
2: I think what happened was early on uh, something that – a lot of fans probably weren't expecting was the issues with of the offensive line. Like, we all knew the O-line was going to be one of the the weaknesses, but not to the point that it was when the season started. Um, a lot of fans were caught off guard by uh, the way McDaniels, Josh McDaniels, uh, Raiders head coach, handles the O-line. A lot of rotation, a lot of moving around pieces until he finds the right uh, combination. But, you know, unspewned un- to a lot of these fans was that he... Always did that in New England too. Now, mind you, the quality of players that he had at that time was, you know, vastly superior. At least at first. Sure. Um, I think I think something that has they definitely deserve credit for is that he's the right guys are starting to gel now. You know, we saw that against the Broncos, especially in terms of the running game. I think that was what fans were like really waiting for because, you know, before the season started, a lot of people were saying, well. Is Josh Jacobs even going to be on the team anymore? Is he going to be moved or things like that? And McDaniel's was quick to squash that during uh, preseason. He's like, no, he's like, why would I trade away you know one of my best offensive players? And mm-hmm. you know, you know, it, it took four weeks, but they finally figured it out as far as the run game, you know. And it's it's better late than ever, I guess. You know, I, I know a lot of fans weren't expecting a one and three start, but when you look at the division as a whole, you got the Chiefs at the top, obviously. Like me and you had agreed on previously when I was on mm-hmm. here but what we didn't expect was how the broncos have shaped up so i think because of what's happened with the broncos and the injuries that have just decimated the chargers uh, the raiders are still in it man <laughs> despite yeah. being 1 and 3 so yep. yeah, you're you're absolutely right to call this a throwaway season or it's been disappointed no not quite yet let's see what happens over the next uh, couple of weeks
0: yeah i mean i i will be perfectly honest with you my reservations about the Broncos were pretty strong. I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really drive it home because it was so hard against the Green, but I did not pick them to go to the playoffs, and pretty much everybody did. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I expected them to look as disastrous as they have so far, but I did think that, that the ramp-up period would be a bit... Tougher, a bit, uh, a bit bumpier than a lot of people did, and at this point, it looks like there may not even be a ramp up period for them. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, and and there was a couple guys uh, that covered the Chargers that uh, this was way back in March uh, during you know height of the off season when they were saying that they were saying that the Chargers acquiring Khalil Mack in the long run was going to end up being having a larger impact than Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, and obviously. Those guys got buried on Twitter, but, yeah. you know, they recently yeah. pulled their receipts and it just comes to show you that crowning a team in the offseason is never a smart thing. You know, the Broncos mm-hmm. were clearly the media darlings, like everybody was just running with it. And it's like, did people forget that this is the Chiefs division? <laughs> First of all, you know what I mean? And that was, and look at uh, so far, I think everybody's been proven right. That this is still the Chiefs division far and away, you know?
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, my so so far at least at this point, it's probably a little bit unwise to start waving my receipts <laughs> four games into the season or five games into the season. But so far, <laughs> I've been I've been pretty on point with my playoff predictions. I mean, you know, I I picked the Chiefs to win the AFC uh, West, uh, which it looks like they're on their way to. I picked the Chargers to to be a wild card team um and I didn't pick the Broncos or Raiders to to make the playoffs, but I did consider the Raiders to be the third best team in the division. And I just thought that there was a very good chance that that they would have to fight through a very challenging division, and that might keep their record just a little bit too low to squeak into the playoffs. But it's still early; it's it's definitely not not um, not there yet. And look, you know, uh, it, they do have to make some changes. There, there do have to be some there there are some things that have to be improved. If they are going to make that turnaround and the offensive line is definitely the first one. Had we talked when, when they had already, had they already released Alex Leatherwood when we talked? I think that, I think that we talked after that officially happened.
2: Uh no, I think it was before because we were talking about like certain weaknesses on the roster and like the biggest concerns and obviously O line was like the tops of the Raiders uh list. Right. But if I remember correctly, no, he hadn't been released yet. But it, I mean, obviously now, what is this now? A couple months later, uh, didn't really seem to make that much of a difference. You know, Leatherwood hasn't yeah. exactly killed it in Chicago. So, you yeah. know, I mean, we don't know what would have happened if he would have stayed on the Raiders. That's not to you know, but clearly uh, Ziegler and McDaniels have seen enough,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes if you just don't see it in a player, you just move on from him and, and just let the locker room know that, like, you know, we're, if, if you're not putting in the effort, we're not going to keep you. I think there's something to be said for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so yeah. let's talk about this game upcoming. It's a big one. It's a divisional game. It's in prime time. The Raiders have historically given Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs A fair amount of trouble. I mean, they probably, I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, you probably do, but if I recall, they have a better record against the Chiefs, at least by by percentage of wins, than pretty much anybody else since Patrick Mahomes has gotten on board, but uh, if they are going to be competitive in that game, it's going to take a pretty monumental defensive effort.
2: Yeah, well... In the Patrick Mahomes slash Derek Carr era, uh, the Chiefs have actually been them I believe they're seven and one last time I checked. So they've pretty much have owned the Raiders okay. as long as Carr has been Carr has been there. So it's actually quite the opposite, you know. Right. Uh, Carr had that one upset against that's the still, Chiefs. That's what I'm thinking about, yeah. Yeah. And especially at, at Arrowhead. Like he's that's he, right. unfortunately has, his legacy so far has been tied to his Unsuccessful run, you know, at Arrowhead. It's unfortunate because it seems to eclipse a lot of his other accomplishments. But you know, you're often judged, you know, when you play for the Raiders how you fare against the rivals, especially the Chiefs. You know, so right. every single year it's the same regurgitate. Uh, how do you say uh, Regurgitate story. <laughs> yeah, about Carr not being able to win Arrowhead, and once again that's the same thing here. I think the difference maybe this uh, with this particular matchup on Monday is the clash of the running game, and by the clash I mean Josh Jacobs against the run defense. We've seen, you know, Josh Jacobs really come alive and he's playing like his rookie self. So, you know, after an off season where people really were saying were doubting whether he'd even be with the team anymore, he's proven them wrong. You know, he's playing like a guy that wants a new deal. Let's keep it that that's what he's playing like. You know, he wants a new deal. And but at the same time the Chiefs run defense is probably one of the best in the league right now, if not the best in the league, you know. Categorically and statistically speaking, they're in the top five for most of the key categories. You know, they're giving up less than four yards uh, per carry. You know, they're not giving up much in, as far as yardage. So this is really going to be one of the, the classic, like, immovable object, you know, type of clashes. But at the same time, the Chiefs' past defense isn't what it was last couple of years either. You know, they've had a lot of turnover in their defensive backfield. You know, a lot of the guys from the last couple of years, the Honey Badger, uh, Daniel Sorensen, those guys are gone. You know, it's it's a whole other defensive backfield. That isn't to say they're not good, but this would probably be the one of the best games to sort of just run it down the middle, run it down their throats, and hopefully open up the passing game. They have the weapons, especially if Hunter Renfro is uh, cleared and he finally plays again. You know, they've really been missing him, but you're talking about four solid options with Devontae, Renfro, Waller, and now Matt Collins. So this, you know, it could go either way, obviously, but I just feel like it's there. The, the potential there for the Raiders to pull this off is there, however uh small it might be, however minuscule it might be. Well, I
0: think it's any given Sunday is, is very, very real. I, I think, you know, if you're going to pick the favorite every single game of the season, yeah, you're probably going to come out on top in terms of your picks. But the reality is that, you know, there are a lot of upsets in the NFL. There's a lot more parity than, you know, when you're, when you're talking about game to game um, versus the whole season. So if we're looking at that offensive line and, and we're matching up against Chris Jones, we're matching up against uh, Frank Clark and Carl Aftis, uh, mm-hmm. who, who is the weakness, would you say? Like, wh- what is it on the Raiders offensive line that you would be most concerned
2: about? I think if uh, if Andre Andre James, I'm sorry, wouldn't be back, then I would be very concerned because then you would have had Dylan Parham, a rookie, handling the center. You know, and he did he tried his best, but at the same time, it was obvious the inexperience, and you know he's still very much uh, developing. But we saw what happened last week when Andre James took back the center position and how it affected the rest of the interior. I mean, if there's one weakness, you most fans would probably tell you it's John Simpson. You know, considering his struggles. But overall, the interior with James back in there, I think they have a shot. You know, is this to say that Jacobs is going to run for 200 yards? Uh, doubtful. <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. But I think with him back, I think that's the matchup to look for, how he handles the uh, center position against the guys that you just mentioned. I mean, these are uh, some of the best in the league as far as the interior uh, pass rush and the run defense. So it's definitely something that uh, it's... Probably going to be one of the key defining matchups in this game is Andre James against the interior.
0: So how about the rest of the skill players, right? We know what Dale- Darren Waller can be. We know what Hunter Renfro has done. And we've also seen that Carr has made a, a concerted effort to get the ball to Devontae Adams. Do you think that's been to the detriment of the other skill players? Do you think that uh, that it's just taken them a little bit of, little while to get in sync with everybody and and, you know, divvy up the the attempts evenly how do you feel about what the skill group looks like right now as far as pass catchers
2: well i mean as pass catchers it's probably one of the best i mean like i said they have four reliable options for car now it's probably one of the most stacked uh as far as weaponry it's probably one of the most stacked groups he's had probably in his entire career dare i say even better than the uh the 2016 unit you know that got them into the playoffs but i think as far as Devonte, yeah early on it's okay Week one, he card got grilled for targeting Delonte too much, and then the following week it was like a complete 180. And people are like, mm-hmm. okay, so what's going on? It could have been a balance of, uh, you know, trying to balance things out. But one of the arguments that's being made, it's like, well, if you get, if you go out of your weight to give up the first and second round pick for a wide receiver, you gotta force the ball to him. You gotta like, even if he's double covered, man, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta force the ball to him. If that's the case. So it's almost like. Uh, fans were confused, so it's like, okay, so is he moving away from him? Is he purposely not looking his way? There was a whole thing with uh, uh, his name, Orlovsky, when he was basically calling Carr out, saying that on film he was purposely ignoring him. I don't think it was that to that extreme. But obviously, there's. it's just been a transition with under McDaniels, clearly. But um, like I said, I think we all knew before the season started that it was going to come down to establishing the run. And early on, it was kind of like uh, a tale of two halves. You would have McDaniel's and Jacobs. He would, you know, he would commit to the run in one half, and then in the other, he would completely abandon it, much to the detriment of the rest of the offense. So it's like, okay, so, you know, what are you doing? It was just a lot of question marks. You know, it's like a lot of fans are just like, what the heck is going on? You know, so what is this going to be? A run-first offense? Is this going to be, you know, revolved around uh, Waller and? Adams, for example, but instead it's like what we got with uh, the Broncos, I think is really the best-case scenario for the Raiders' offense. You know, just using Jacobs as the first option and just shoving it down opponents' throats, you know, at least until... This, this whole thing with cars figured out it just seems like he's still finding his groove he's still finding his uh, way like you know you could arg- make the argument that against the Broncos he played more of a role of a game manager you know he didn't turn the ball over he led the offense he made the, the throws that needed to be but by no means was a was it a great statistical showing you know but mm-hmm. there it just goes to show you I think he's still finding his groove with all this now hopefully he finds it real soon because he's going to be an arrowhead <laughs> on Monday so
0: right well, I think it's not that surprising. I mean, you look at quarterbacks around the NFL who have been in new systems with new coordinators or new head coaches. It's it's more often than not it doesn't go as smoothly as you would think just because they're veterans and established. I mean, I think the whole Brady situation in Tampa is pretty rare and Rodgers too. And we're talking about two all-time guys. And even Rodgers didn't look, you know, as good in that first year it took him his second and third year to hit MVP heights and you know they won a lot of games but I, I he didn't look as good in that first year and I think anytime you have a quarterback and and it's a new pairing with a play caller it's going to be bumpy you know you cannot use those all-time talents as as a benchmark right it's It's one of the reasons that I was lower on the Broncos and the Raiders to to at least start the season, and I think you know it took Carr a little bit, little while with uh, with uh, uh, Gruden Gruden? too. You know, and and, yeah, I think um, you know, obviously as a total team, they ended up having a little bit more success once Gruden was gone. But I think under Gruden with Carr specifically that relationship did develop and Carr did get better I, I believe over the time that he was there and so i think you do have to have a little patience with it so i'm going to ask you now we use play action pools as our official partner for the pick em and spreads i have the chiefs favored by seven so chiefs minus seven at home against the raiders here who are you going to take via the spread specifically
2: If it came down to that, I would have to take the Chiefs. You know, I think what's going to happen is the uh, Raiders might get a couple touchdowns in there, but I think something that you notice with the Chiefs is even if you get, like, a couple scores on them, eventually it just becomes too much, and they just tend to, like, run away with, with, you know, with the game. So I think that might end up being the same scenario with the Raiders. I think the Raiders are probably going to punch it in a couple times, but I think this defense is not quite ready yet for Mahomes, even though, again... They did a great job last uh, week with the Broncos. Clearly, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes are on two different levels now. <laughs> like, we've seen now uh, where Wilson is at and where Mahomes currently is. Mahomes is arguably probably in the top two for NFL quarterbacks right now, arguably. So, yeah, I would probably definitely take the spread. Uh, you know, you're know, you probably going to see something around 28, 21 Chiefs, if that was the case. You know, Something, something in that neighborhood, in my opinion yeah well I
0: think historically speaking and schematically speaking the kind of defense that Patrick Graham runs has been something that Patrick Mahomes has struggled with a little bit but the Chiefs went out of their way this offseason to build an offense that that basically fights that specific defense they stopped they they decided that Tyreek Hill wasn't worth it anymore and they started getting a bunch of guys who could catch passes underneath and and they worked on the offensive line in the run game. Although, I mean, I guess the offensive line was more last year. But still, they built mm-hmm. a team that can combat those two high looks. And I think they're ahead of the curve with that. Um, but, you know, that's Andy Reid for you. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised just because it's a divisional game if it is closer than, than seven. But at the same time, this coaching staff hasn't gone against this Chiefs coaching staff as the Raiders yet. I think a lot of times those divisional matchups, they're closer, but after they get to kind of know each other for a little while. So I'll agree with you. I'll take the Chiefs with minus seven here. I think it's, it's hard to pick against the Chiefs at this point, especially after <laughs> yeah. what they did to the Buccaneers defense last week. I think the reality is that you, know, you, you just kind of have to give them their due, you know.
2: No, yeah, for sure, and I think, like you said, uh, the Raiders' uh, defense as a whole, but more particularly the run defense, is really going to get tested uh, this this Monday. And the coaching staff, yeah, like when you compare <clears throat> the Chiefs' current coaching staff with what the Raiders have, it really is apples and oranges. It's not really a disrespect to McDaniel's, but you're talking about Andy Reid, you know. So it's like it's it's a completely different, you know, level playing field. But you are right. It's a divisional game. There's always that extra intensity, that extra, you know, motivation. Carr was talking about it earlier this week that they were asking him about if the younger players, especially the offensive line, since they're so young, if they really understand what all of this means. And it's like, no, it's like it, – it it's a little bit different. Chiefs week is different. And it is going to be closer. Um, but like I said, there's just too many uh, question marks right now. You know, it's like how – Will the Raiders' defense respond? That's going to be one of the things to keep an eye on, too. You know, like you said, historically, yes, Graham's defense does well, but it's not the same. It's it's Mahomes, you know? It's like, do you ever yeah. really want to bet against Mahomes? You know, it comes down to that, too, yep. we're talking about points.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you and I have both been on the same pages as, uh, as far as that goes, both before the season and and now going forward. I I just don't like to bet against elite quarterbacks. But I think I think... If you play him if you play him close and you finish the season strong, I don't think that you would struggle to make the argument that things would be moving in the right direction. It's been a while since we've seen McDaniels in the head coaching position, so we don't truly know how it's going to shake out, but I think you do have to recognize what a good job he did in New England, and you have to have some patience with it and hopefully be optimistic next year. I mean, they do have a lot of good players. Um, they will have another first and second round pick to improve the team. You know, they'll they'll have fully self-scouted for a year and they'll know what they need to do. So I, I am tentatively high on the Raiders long term, even though the beginning of the season has gone more or less how I expected. But Mario, thank you so much for coming on. I truly, truly do appreciate you breaking down this game with me. And why don't you let everybody know where they can find all your work at Raider Ramble and, of course, on Twitter, et cetera.
2: Uh, Well, you can always just find us at RaiderRamble.com. That's where we have all of our published works. Uh, You can also follow us at Twitter. Uh, Keep it simple. It's at The Raider Ramble, so pretty easy to figure out. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're pretty much all across uh, the social media platforms. Just search for the, uh, The Raider Ramble. Uh, for myself, it's at underscore Mario Tovar. So,
1: yeah.
0: Beautiful. And, guys, if you are a Raiders fan, and I, don't, I wouldn't know why you wouldn't already know about these guys, but this is one of the <laughs> best independent publications, like independent, independent team publications out there. They do a phenomenal job. So, please do go check them out. Mario, thanks again, and we'll talk soon. We'll see how the Raiders season goes, man. Have a good one.
2: Yeah, you too, man, and I look forward to that.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our week five recap. Remember I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at the Max Dean and the gridiron heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found and now on YouTube. So we will be back tomorrow. Kyron and I to recap Monday night football. We are also going to go over his performers of the week and my power rankings. So please, wherever you watch or listen, Like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, anything you can that helps us, we greatly appreciate. And we will see you all very soon.